Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for Christ Jesus in you. For Paul and the early church, gratitude and obligation was a part of ethical thinking. It was a means by which their civic relationships were started and solidified and affirmed throughout their day-to-day -day interactions within their community. These key practices and attitudes underlined their ethical thinking. We see it in Romans, we see it in 1 Corinthians. For example, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Roman. He says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. And he continues on in chapter 12 to say, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Give thanks in all circumstances. This was a gratitude and obedience to the patron. It was about the relationship. There was always a giver and there was always a receiver. Does this sound familiar? We are absolutely the receivers of life in every situation that we find ourselves in. So especially for Paul in that early church and for us today, it was a gratitude for deliverance. And this was lived out day after day, in their communal life together. Now I have to say, and I've heard some other people say as well, that our culture hasn't prepared us well to live in the communities that we're a part of. We want to be a part of community on our own terms. We want an easy entry and an easy exit. But this is what makes community so vital in our lives. It's not when it's easy to exit or easy to enter, but it's when we dig into the spaces that are hard and we can still find gratitude for the people that we get to do life with. We're looking at the book Living Into Community by Christine Deepole, and I heard her speaking one time and she was talking about a group of leaders that she was um, interviewing and kind of dialing dialoguing about as she was writing this book and they were um, a part of the hospitality ministry in various uh, parts of the country they were in seminaries and they were in um, homeless shelters and they were in the church and they said that sustaining community is actually harder than entertaining guests but if the communities that we are living in are supposed to be an example of who Jesus was, then how do we live in community with gratitude? It's easier to remember bad stuff, and it's hard to notice the good stuff, and this makes gratitude difficult. Envy is something that deforms gratitude, and just think about how many times 
this week, how many times today have you scrolled through your phone? Actually, I would scroll this way, scroll through my phone or seen something on TV or on your computer. And then those thoughts of envy creep in. It's just natural. It's human nature. But especially now in the way that we live our lives, we're taught to give in to that envy. But every time we do, we find a little less to be thankful for. And then as we turn to the thought of Christian community, it gets even harder. Christine writes in her book that gratitude and ingratitude are closely tied to what we notice. Because our expectations of the church are high, disappointment and frustration can run very deep. And these things make gratitude hard. I can definitely speak from personal experience. I grew up in the church. Um, once one particular church I grew up in from the time I was about five to 18. And it was a huge part of my journey. And my days were shaped around Sundays and Wednesdays. Not my days, my weeks were shaped around what happened on Sundays and Wednesdays and Fridays and whenever I was supposed to be at the church doing something. And so these relationships that formed began to um, take really high priority in my thoughts and in my uh, way of life and so did the expectations of them. And so when I left to go to college, um, left this environment that I had known for years and years and years, I started to see some things that probably weren't done how they were supposed to be. Um, but at the time they were doing their best and at the time I didn't know any better. But as I moved out of that space and I began to kind of get a different perspective, perhaps a healthier perspective, therein lies the disappointment and the frustration. And if I'm not careful, I carry that with me to whatever church I find myself in or to whatever community of Christians that I find myself in. And it's hard. It's hard to find the good and the beautiful and the hope when we carry around disappointment and frustration because of our high expectations, isn't it? And you know, as humans, we've been hardwired for the survival at the at our core, it's still a survival of the fittest. And the lens that we learn to look through from a very early age, anybody, is how am I going to survive through this situation? Whether it's needing to get to the next tetherball game at recess and win, or hiding in stillness from an alcoholic, abusive adult. These are both situations and examples of things that I had to learn to survive through at a very young age. And it wasn't easy. <laughs> I mean, tetherball is tetherball. However, I did get like literally knocked, knocked in the face, like knocked down. <laughs> so my survival instincts did not tell me to cover my face. So there is that. But I... I, I dealt with, um, you know, a broken family. And even though we went to church as often as we could, and even if they weren't there, I was there, it still was 
not an easy situation. But what I can take out of that is a deep gratitude for the people that God surrounded me with during that time and the relationships that carried me through and that discipled and mentored me when I had no idea what to think or do or how to react and for the ways that the Lord protected me. And then for like a resilience that came from that and an understanding that I am not defined by the things that have happened or or happen in my house, but I really am defined by the one who gives me life. Again, this relationship of a patronage, the giver and the receiver. So how do we take these hard situations of life and not deny them, but learn to notice in a different angle and maybe pull out gratitude through the darkness? and begin to cultivate a habit of gratitude, of pulling gratitude out of these dark places and hard things in our lives. I think it has something to do with grace. Karl Barth wrote that grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. In her book, uh, Christine says, gratitude operates at several different levels. Thanksgiving and praise to God, gratitude as a posture for life, and gratitude as a response to others for who they are or for what they've given to us. So we can respond in gratitude to the specific gifts that we've received or to the person who has given them to us. And we can allow the giftedness of our total existence to shape the way we view our world. I'm going to repeat that part. The giftedness of our total existence. It's a gift. So what are we noticing in our day-to-day -day lives or especially in our communities and the people that we get to do life with and are discipled by and are challenged by and are grow, are growing with. Sometimes gratitude in, spa in those spaces become a commodity or a product versus an experience. But we have an opportunity to find beauty and hope and purpose within our communities and even within the things that we are noticing. I want to read a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a little bit long, but bear with me. And also, sorry about the sounds. This is life and my kids and the neighbor's dog. So this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it says, We think we dare not be satisfied with the small measure of spiritual knowledge, experience, and love that has been given to us. And that we must constantly be looking forward eagerly to the highest good. How often are we constantly looking for something better? He says, we pray for big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary, small, and yet really not small gifts. How can God entrust great things to one who will not thankfully receive from him the little things? If we, not, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we've been placed, even when there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, 
but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty? If on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and so petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. It's like a parent who's never satisfied, right, with their children's achievements. And they just destroy rather than build up. And I have to say that I am guilty of this. And I'm working really hard to change that. And I can see how it destroys them. And it kind of creates this incapacity to appreciate small gifts because my tendency is to trample their fragile expression of beauty and goodness. So 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's bring this to a real, practical, experiential level. If I were to say the phrase, or even the word, or the number, dare I say, 2020, what's the next word that you would use to describe it? 2020, it's probably something like, sucked. And that's real. And we all felt it. What if we could continue the phrase out of a social responsibility to the people that are surrounding us, to the people in our communities, to the people we're discipling and listen and people who are listening? What if we could continue the phrase so we don't stop at 2020 sucked, but we say 2020 sucked, but I found a new depth to the relationship of the people that I had to cuddle in with. 2020 sucked, but it caused me to appreciate what I did have when I couldn't get anything else. 2020 was full of heartache and pain and disappointment and anger. But I learned within myself how to respond. So our immediate response to this discipline of gratitude is to shift our focus without denying the hard parts. So what is killing our gratitude? Is it envy? Is it fear? Is it jealousy? Is it negativity? And how can I build daily habits to grow my gratitude instead of kill it? How can I recognize the beauty and the hope in the small things? Because it is recognizing this beauty that is going to lead us back to humanity and to remembering the giftedness of our existence and to being grateful.